Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 206 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez, and we have a super special guest host today, our equally amazing Bloody Elbow colleague, Kristen King, is here to join us, and we will be discussing the biggest storylines from UFC 281, Alexander Volkanovsky's response to critics vocalizing about his activity level, an update on Francis Ngannou's contract situation, Sean O'Malley's latest medical procedure, and we'll take a look at some other notable moments from the combat sports world. But first and foremost, I am so excited you're here, Kristen. I have been wanting to talk to you for ages because I've watched you guest on other shows and you're just, you're such an intelligent mind and I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, Thank you. Thank you so much. It always freaks me out when people say that when I'm invited onto their shows, because I have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like it just feels like I shouldn't be on these shows saying my opinions, but it is just so reassuring to hear that. And I'm just happy to be welcomed into the space with you and Vic. And it's been a long time coming. So I am very excited to get the show started. Victor, are you as excited as I am about Kristen being here? It's kind of overdue. I'm so happy you could join us. And I, I want to thank you for, you know, making the time and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I, I they always, um, Ariane Lipsky has the, uh, the, the, nip, the nickname of Violence Queen, but I don't know, man. I think mm-hmm. she need to turn that in over at the nickname division and, and hand that <laughs> over to you because, Jesus, nobody puts as much heart and dedication into the most gruesome, like, <laughs> shit that a lot of people just don't want to even look at. And it's like, yep, there she is. She's picking that up I, I just i love the the humor with which you handle that and and uh and and just the the grace that you carry with it i think it's dope but also uh i've been saying your praises for a while i mean come on you're good at it. i mean so why, why wouldn't i yeah and again i appreciate that and it's funny because a lot of people ask me about like my background and why i'm so enthused about like the most gruesome aspect of mma which is honestly very simple it's it's based off of like 80s practical and special effects, you know, where they used to use like, uh, like sausage links for guts and stuff like that. I was always fascinated by that. And then it kind of turned into me watching these shows. I don't know if you guys remember this show on MTV, very obscure. And it used to come on like at one in the morning, but it was called Scarred. Yes. And it, yeah. And it was hosted by uh, the lead singer of Papa Roach. I knew for a fact that I wasn't supposed to be watching the show, but I ended up, <laughs> you know, watching it. And it was just so fascinating to me that they were actually showing these disgusting, brutal injuries, like in real time. So it's a combination of like real and fake for me. And that's why I think I'm able to just kind of digest everything with such a with such ease, I guess. Mm, no, it. we had faces of death. And boy, yes. that, that, that was regrettable, actually. <laughs> and when we had faces of death, it was when we were kids, preteens, whatever. And oh, my God, I had so many nightmares about the alligators. Holy mm. shit. The alligators that eat the dude. Okay. But let's <laughs> I got to move on here. <laughs> so we are going to break down last night's card the most important storylines from it and there were quite a few because the top the card from top to bottom every single fight was freaking amazing so my first question here 
for me and for a lot of other people on the internet interwebs <laughs> that was the the card of the year Kristen, would you agree Definitely UFC 281 is in the running for card of the year. Obviously, we had like the UFC London card earlier this year, but this is one of those those events that just had your attention the entire time. I was very excited just to see a lot of the fights that um, were scheduled. A lot of the fights on the prelims were very interesting. I'm always a big fan of Montel Jackson, so seeing him against Julio Arce was really nice. Um, there was the Matt Travola fight. There was a Michael Trezano and Sung Woo Choi fight, which I, I knew we were in for mm. a treat when it that fight gave us a double knockdown. You don't see that very often. You see, that's like a unicorn. That's a double rainbow type of thing. And I'm just like, oh my God, tonight is going to be so much different than other nights. So definitely UFC 281 is in the running for part of the year, pending the remaining uh, UFC events that we have and all the other events. But this one, this one was crazy. I, I loved it from top to bottom. Yeah, this was, this was a really nutty card. I mean, we didn't really have um, any major lulls i guess i mean there was just uh there was you know jackson versus Arce, which i think was the only of the uh of the fights that went to no there were two fights two, that went to two, decision yeah. um oh three i should say but it was it wasn't boring really it was just uh, more of a standard pace and that's fine i can see where people get a little restless and uh would expect something bigger and i guess when you step back it's like well it, it might not have been the most thrilling but not all of them are going to be five stars. One of them is going to be the least thrilling, and that's fine. This, this is what happens when you're looking at guys that are coming up in the ranks. And um, aside from that, man, we had a lot of scrambly, odd fights. We had some technical exhibitions. We had some really good stuff going on here that that I'm glad we um, were able to get in one uh, just like one big package all together, you know, and, and it's nice. It's good when you have a bit of a brisk pace because especially the way that these last few cards have been uh, spaced out with all the, the padding and um, all the bumper programming stuff that they keep putting in, it, it's like, you know, it, it drags everything to a crawl for an event that probably shouldn't be three hours, but they'll have to stretch it out to seven because of the broadcast commitments. I'm glad we didn't have to suffer through that here. But did, did was the card the card of the year for you? Was it card of the year? Well, I mean, those those elements make it, you know, probably. I for I now I'm going to say, say yes. It. I need you to for say. Na- it. <laughs> for now I'm going to say yes. For now I'm going to say it's probably card of the year up until now. I mean, I'd have to look back. It's been a long year. Time is liquid to me. Nothing means anything anymore. So it's like I have a hard time remembering what other event I'd really put up there with this. Um, also because of the caliber of the, the the way that the two title fights went at the top. I don't know, man. So I'm, right now I'm just going to say yes. Okay. That's what I was going for. And Kristen, to your point about UFC London being great, that would probably be my second card. So that, yeah, that, that's a good good pull right there. So we are going to jump into the fights. We're going to start at the top. Let's look at Alex Pereira taking Israel's crown away from him. Kristen, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of the fight overall? Man, overall, it was like, I, I can give you two words, deja vu. Mm-hmm. I mean... Israel really had this and I'm watching him and and I'm thinking, man, maybe he was right. Maybe, you know, the experience between uh, him and Alex is so different and and it's so clear because once Israel, listen, he said he had a surprise for us. He definitely surprised me when he started going to the ground and trying to get, you know, the fight to the ground and stuff like that, because that's not something we normally see from Israel. Uh, But I think he felt like he needed to do that. And I think he proved a point that he could do that against someone who is a a relative novice on the ground. And I think he exploited a lot of holes in that area, because I don't think we've ever really seen Alex be put in positions like that. He's never really 
needed to because he's betting people with a left hook. So uh, it was very interesting. I thought it, it felt so, you know, the same as what had happened the last time that they met in the kickboxing ring. And then out of nowhere, of course, and, and what's crazy is my prediction was just like, you know what? I think the experience is going to pay off for Israel. He's going to teach that he's going to teach Alex that this is so much more different. And of course, you, the danger is still there, obviously. But I'm like, I don't think he's going to put himself in any bad positions for that to even happen. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was the leg kick that really did it. I think that's what Israel was saying in his post-fight press conference, that he kicked his perennial nerve and he knew something was wrong. And I knew something was wrong because of the way he rolled and tried to get out of the way. And so while I'm looking at the, the final round of that fight and I said, well, you know what? That explains a lot of the, the non-existent movement toward the end there like he just kind of stuck himself up against the cage and couldn't really do anything and now we know it's because those those leg kicks paid off for Alex and man I was stunned absolutely stunned I, I mean I thought it was going to go one way and of course I as much as people hate hearing it this is MMA yeah anything can happen anything can happen and this is just another example of that being true so we have a new champion in the in the middleweight division and man if i'm any other contender right now and i saw just a little <laughs> bit of weakness exploited in alex <laughs> i.e the ground game i'm out there clamoring for that fight right now look at hamza chumayev look at what he's doing yeah somebody look at robert whitaker is he on the phone right now being like listen i i, I can't fight paulo costa I think I'm just going to have to wait and just shoot for Alex Perea because he might as well at this point. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I might've mentioned this before, but we also, at least I do, I'm part of the team that works with the uh, Facebook stuff for the site. And I noted this and I'm, I'm pretty sure someone's going to be mad when they see it, but uh, I wrote something to the effect of that sound you heard is the sound of Robbie punching the wall right now like that's 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 an item like you know when you lose twice to a champ it's the door is pretty much shut on you unless something absolutely extraordinary happens however now that there's the champ isn't there anymore and what a godsend to someone like bobby knuckles right because now you have somebody that has gaps and holes in his game and yeah sure he's got a, a tremendous uh level of expertise standing but is he almost put him away at the at the end of the first round mm -hmm. and he was he was having some extraordinary moments i had him winning the whole fight up until then mm -hmm. but that's how these things go and unfortunately much like in the uh, time where uh, izzy got knocked out in their kickboxing match their second one no one going to remember how the rest of the fight went no one's going to remember the end of that first round or how the middle of that third round went or how he started turning things up with the body kicks no one's going to remember any of that except for the knockout and be like oh he's washed he's not shit anymore and that that i find really upsetting because it's like you know now does izzy get an immediate rematch well they're very uh they're very big on uh, having guys that have been that have held a title for quite some time getting immediate rematches, and I understand that. I don't know that that might happen if he injured himself at any point. If he's not cleared medically, he might have to sit out for a bit, and you know, then then things definitely change. But um, I, I I really now it is a shame for Robbie that he's already booked, but 
hey, you know, it is what it is. And look, I, I don't really think there's any shame. Izzy looks like he's handling this as, uh, with as much um, with with as much gusto as possible, right? He's he's not really taking this too hard as far as how some people have done in the past. He's not uh, looking like a sore loser on it. So he's at least saying the right things in public. And, um, you know, let's let's see what happens when they come back and do this again, because I doubt that this is the last time they face each other. Well, according to Dana White, last night, he says that he wants to pay Israel the respect of letting him possibly have the immediate rematch. They're already looking at that. So judging by those kind of comments, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that will probably be their next fight. Rob Whitaker, to your point, both of your points about Rob Whitaker. Apparently, he has his own fight companion or something, but there's a video of him mm-hmm. as he's watching the finish, and he is just going nuts. So, I, to, to both of your points, you know he's on the phone with Dana nonstop. Dana's phone is going on every 13 <laughs> seconds right now because Rob <laughs> Whitaker is calling him every 13 seconds. And yeah, I, and that was the um, that was her little Twitch companion that they have. So the UFC has a Twitch account for that, and and that's what they were doing with Jens Pulver and company. And uh, I, I merely mentioned that that if you do have a chance to check out the clip, us talking about it does not do it justice. You really got to see him in his body language as he melts in his chair, going, "Oh my god, oh boy, dollar signs are back, baby." Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What a perfect guest to have on that stream, too. Like if anyone's reaction I wanted to see, it was definitely Robert Whitaker's. Yeah. Also, Marvin Vittori would have been amazing on that stream, too, because, you know, he would have been cussing and just saying the wildest shit ever. And it would have been hilarious. Either either one of those guys would have been great on that stream, but I'm glad we got to see Bobby Knuckles because I think he's a a little bit more valid opponent at this point than than Mm -hmm. Vittori is. So I, I, I like the idea that we got to see uh, Bobby Knuckles. What were you saying, Victor? It, no, it's just funny that you mentioned Marvin because, you know, while while Robbie's reaction seemed to be more in line with like, oh, my God, I got another crack at the gold. Marvin's reaction on Twitter was, now I want to fight Adesanya again. again. Like, he doesn't even call out the champion. I mean, what is he even thinking? Yeah, I Marvin. saw that dumbass comment, and I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea how this works, do you? I just, I just, I, I don't, why is he so, why is he like this? Yeah. He'll yeah. never learn. He'll never, and I actually favor Marvin Vittori in that fight, so which is I. the craziest thing. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, dude, do you not, don't, don't shoot yourself in the foot because you're trying to pursue this revenge that is not going to happen at this point. Like mm-hmm. you lost Izzy twice. Let's move past it and, and try and get some new blood out there. And this is your opportunity. This yeah. is it. And you're not making the most of it. Exactly. Now yeah. we are going to move to the co-main event. Weili Zhang taking back her title. But I have to say, and I'm going to I'm gonna give Carla her props and her snaps. She acquitted herself well in that first round. I know the second round was all downhill for her, unfortunately. But she looked damn good in that first round. And if she just, man, I wish they would give her an atom weight division. She would run that thing to death into the ground because she's built for atom weight. She's so tiny. I mean, Whaley is tiny, but Carla is even smaller than Whaley, and she's just not strong enough to take on the Whaley's and the Jessica Andrages of the world. She couldn't even handle Joanna, you know, and that, of course, that was when Joanna was at the top of her game. But when you're a wrestler and you can't get your person down, there's a problem there. And it's because she's not strong and she's tiny. 
but she acquitted herself well and i i must give her her props for that Kristen. Yeah, most definitely. I was super impressed with Carly as far as I know she's had a very rough week on account of the the fan uh, reaction that she had been receiving. And, and, and I'm assuming that it was based off of her last performance. But I, to me personally, I was telling the people that I was watching uh, the pay-per-view event with, I said, you know what, this is the this is a lot of action for Carla Esparza. Mm-hmm. And I'm very excited to see her engage with Whaley, even though there is such an inherent danger in doing that, especially someone who we just saw a video of her lifting up Francis Ngannou like it was absolutely nothing. Like, I wouldn't want to engage with that person, but you have no choice when you're locked into a cage and you have to stand in front of that person. So for me, I thought Carla Esparza really did her best. She really did try her hardest. But man, John Whaley is just so scary. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to do anything i wouldn't want to strike i wouldn't want to wrestle and it was crazy to see her you know go to the ground and kind of beat carla at her own game like remember this is carla's bread and butter the groundwork and we got a few scrambles here and there and it i think in the first round when whaley had her kind of locked up in a in a minor submission it didn't really look like anything but the way that carla was able to compose herself get out of it reverse position it was just like this is her world and Whaley is paying, she's playing a little bit of a dangerous game, but then you realize, you know what? I think she's got it from here. And it kind of ended that way in the second round. It was just very, very impressive. I was super impressed by both women. So hats off to that one. That was a fun co-main event. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I mentioned that Carla was going to probably make it ugly. It was going to be a tough task, but, um, you know, I mean, it was, but somehow Zhang just made it look easier than uh, a lot of us, or at least more than I expected. And um, the countering the wrestling was beautiful. It shows that the work that she's been doing both in Thailand uh, and as well with her uh, guest coaches coming in with her grappling, it's been extraordinary. And man, I, she just looks better and better and better with each outing. And now she's got the belt again. Um I did think it was a little dumb at the presser. I know this is not really consequential a fight, but talking about you know, Carla's saying, like, oh, we're keeping the belt here in the U.S. Like, eh, I mean, Zhang is fighting mostly in the U.S. anyway, too. What, what are you trying to do with that? Like, I don't feel like there's any place for that sort of thing here. I think it's good to see international champions. I think it's good to see the growth and development of martial arts as a whole, not just MMA, but to see things expand and shift, and shift in the way that they do. And and having so many um, so many sublime talents from around the world just represented like that, I think it's dope, and it's good to see that happen here yet again. She's got the gold, and it's probably the most intriguing division because, man, that's that's just packed with talent up there in the top five, top ten. So I'm curious to see what's next. And the best thing in the world came from that fight, and it was in the post-fight interview when she said, and her translator translated, "Whaley belongs to the world." I fucking yeah. love that. That was cute. <laughs> that was that's my gonna be my trending hashtag. That's gonna be my go-to. Whaley belongs to the world. I love that. Yeah. Now we are going to move on to the next fight, which is my favorite. Y'all know I am the captain of the Dustin Poirier stand wagon. And I'll tell you what, there was a moment there where I was a little worried for him. Um it wasn't in the first round when he was taking all those shots, though. It was in the second round when he was being controlled from the beginning of the round to the end. And I was just really worried because Dustin doesn't typically get finished by knockout. I know he has in the past, but that's not typically the mode. It's always a submission. And so I was really worried. But then third round happens, I knew it, we were smooth sailing after that because Dustin's got exceptional cardio 
He's got amazing boxing. And he made a comment after the fight in his post-fight interview. And he said that it when Chandler had him up against the cage and was swinging wildly, that if he had bothered to actually throw a straight instead of those stupid looping punches, he probably would have put him away. He said, <laughs> I was close. And if he had just bothered to throw a straight, he would have gotten me out of there. And he's right. Chandler needs to rely on more than just his lay on top and get position and hold you there because, or hope for one of those massive haymakers to land. Because when those two things don't happen, he's kind of flailing around in there. He's not that great a grappler per se, like when it comes to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And we saw that we saw what Dustin did to him. He's a great wrestler. But he wrestles for control more than anything else. And that bothers me about Chandler, among other things. But, you know, that in particular. Um, I like that he called out Connor and says, I'm the only big name for you, um, sir. You might want to check your record here because you have only won two of your five fights. And you've been knocked out or finished in some way, shape, or form. You've been finished in all three of your losses. So, I don't know if Connor's going to be looking at you. And if that fight ever happened, I think he would smoke Connor because I think Connor's done. But anyway, that's that's my take on that. Kristen, I'm going to pass to you. Yeah, you know, it is so funny that you said you were worried about Dustin in the second round. I actually had it the opposite. I was worried about Dustin in the first round because before yeah. he got hurt, mm -hmm. yeah, before he got hurt, there was a little bit of a headbutt. I don't think a lot of people yeah, pointed out that. the headbutt. Yeah. yeah, and I said, well, how much of that him being hurt was caused by that head, but it had to be a little bit because that's when he started to get staggered. And then when he started going up, uh, you know, swinging up against the cage, I was like, damn it, this is where Chandler really does shine. And then lo and behold, what's Chandler do? He shoots in. And Daniel Cormier's like, yeah, I love that. He's switching the thing up. I'm like, I probably wouldn't have done that. I if I had either. someone dead to rights, Yep, I'm not switching up the strategy. I'm still going. And I understand Dustin's like, if he would have went straight, he probably would have got me. But some of those shots were landing. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm also a big Dustin Poirier fan. Uh, and I was worried at that point. The second round, of course, the wrestling came into in play a little bit. And that was smart of Michael Chandler. Because at the end of the first round, we saw a little bit of what Dustin could do. And what I think a lot of us were expecting him to do uh, against Chandler. So when he started relying on his wrestling, I said, yeah, that's smart of him, honestly. But I wasn't too worried about any of the submission attempts because this dude was leaking like a faucet. Everything was so slippery. I'm like, he's not going to slip anything underneath his neck. And I know he definitely tried, but it, it just wasn't going to work. Kristen, and then I got to ask you one thing. I just want to yeah. jump in here. Did, in your eyes, did Michael Chandler intentionally bleed into his mouth? It looked yes. Like it, right? <laughs> yes, he did. No, yes, he, he bled did. into okay. his eyes. Well, I it was a in his bit mouth and his, his mouth eyes. Too. Yes, he a lot of it got in his mouth. I mean, I know yeah. the uh, the the mouth before the eyes. I was just like, oh my god, look! He literally leans over and tries to aim. It yeah, was so yeah, nasty. I saw that. I, I saw that. I was like, we're getting a little bit of uh, Luke Rockhold versus <laughs> Paulo Costa here, but this was way worse because there was so much more blood. Mm -hmm. and 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 i was just like that's a little disgusting but uh, you're in a fight I, I guess do what you gotta do um and, then, and third round man i'm not gonna lie i was i thought this was gonna be a tko mm -hmm. and so the fact that this was a submission a 
love that for Dustin Poirier, who very clearly has jujitsu, as he so <laughs> he said in his post-fight interview so exuberantly. That was hilarious. Dustin Poirier is funny without even trying. Yep. And, and B, that was I could not believe because I saw this a lot on, on, on social media. They were saying that's the first time in Michael Chandler's career that he'd ever been submitted, and I said that can't be right. It is. Is that right? Yep. And it was. Mm-hmm. I was stunned because you think about the people that Michael Chandler has been in the octagon with. Charles Oliveira mm-hmm. had him in a similar spot and he didn't do that. So the fact that Dustin Poirier pulled that off, I mean, impressive as all hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what that reminded me of was that scene in Fight Club where the dude is spoilers for a 24 year old movie. Uh, he's bleeding all over the other guy screaming, you don't know what I've got. And that was to mean more than one thing. Of course, one of them was like, dude, I might have hep, and guess what? We're sharing it. Uh, I, I like the uh, post-fight interview where Dustin was said, yeah, I called him a dirty motherfucker, because guess what? You did, you, not only was he bleeding on him, trying to get the blood into his mouth and his eyes, but he was trying to pry his mouth open with yes. the fish hook, as we saw, over the head. I mean, if it's one thing for you to stick your fingers in the mouth from the side, you know, like, oh, I was trying to go for a choke and I flubbed it. No, 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 no. This was very blatant. Um, There were the strikes at the back of the head, which I can see someone maybe making a mistake, but it seemed to happen more than once. Um, I didn't really like that for Chandler. I I would hope and would have thought he would be better than that at least. But, you know, it is the fight game. And if it's not called, it's still legal. So it is what it is. Um, I really thought that Michael had him cooked. I really thought that Dustin, just as what what Kristen mentioned, you know, when he had him pressed up against the cage, I'm like, yeah, man, this is done. Dude's walking him down like the Terminator. He's looping the punches and everything's landing. And I don't know how many more of these the old Cajun can handle. Holy shit, he handled a lot. And then when he started doing more and he dropped them, it's like, oh, okay, now we really got a fight going. And um, yeah, we get, oh God, I I don't want to see those two fight again. I'll definitely say that. As far as the call out, I think it's smart for Chandler to say that because look mcgregor versus chandler is a winnable fight for either guy yeah yeah okay and not only that but chandler is guaranteed action it's definitely something that has the potential to maximize pay-per-view profits why the hell not the guy wants a big payday mcgregor wants a decent target you get a guy who's near the top or who's in the upper echelons of the division already and could uh, potentially be fighting for a title with another win or two why the hell not? I mean, it's fine. You keep these guys that are both in the losing bracket. McGregor hasn't won a fight in ages. I think it's a very smart call out. Whether or not he gets what he wants, that's yet to be determined. But I'm not mad at it. We're not going to go in a standard order here. I'm just going to jump around. I'm saving Frankie Edgar for last, just in case you're wondering. Mm. I do want to talk about Dan Hooker and Claudio Puelas because two things were going on here. Dan Hooker looked phenomenal. Claudio Puelas did not look himself if that makes any sense. Um, he He's never looked that bad in a fight. I don't know if that's uh, a, a, a testament to Dan Hooker always being able to beat the guys beneath him and never being able to get the ones above him or just Claudio looking like shit last night. Kristen, I'm going to hear from you first. Yeah, you know, I thought it was very weird to see Claudio like that. I don't know if it was just the moment. You're fighting at Madison Square Garden. You're the pay-per-view opener. That is a big spot, you know? So I don't know if he was a little bit nervous or what it was, but his entire game plan of just trying to go for the leg lock, which has worked for him beautifully in the past, um, it just really looked like Dan Hooker was not here for it, and he didn't really seem in 
any danger, I want to say, maybe just a little bit, but not too much. Not even enough for, like, Dan Hooker to actually look phased. Like, Dan mm-hmm. Hooker was sitting in this position, and it almost seemed like he was annoyed. He was just sitting here like, can we do something else? Can we stand? Are you just going to keep rolling for these leg locks or rolling for these knee bars? What else can you bring to the table? <laughs> <laughs> and I think at, at that point, I kind of knew that once it got back to standing, I was like, I think Dan Hooker is probably going to take this. And I mean, those those kicks to the body. Mm. I'm not taking that shit either. Like <laughs> if I was if I was Claudio, too, I'm like, yeah, bro, you got it. I, I'm, I'm not even going to try. So, uh, yeah, it, great fight for Dan Hooker. It doesn't really get him out of that. um doesn't really shake off too much of the cobwebs of, of his status as a potential contender, but I think he's on his way there. I think if he takes on uh, fights like that and he continues to excel, then we're talking about Dan Hooker, the contender again. Because think about it. This guy has given us nothing but, like, great fights. You know, he had the Dustin Poirier fight, it, the Michael Chandler fight. No one else wanted to welcome Michael Chandler into the octagon when he was debuting. And for Dan Hooker to step up to the plate and do that, and go out on a shield like that. I mean, you can't, you can't fault him. That was a very big opportunity for him. So I think if he takes these fights, kind of builds himself up a little bit uh, more and more, this is Dan Hooker all day. You know, he's going to be back into contention at that point. And I, I love the idea of him getting a home, uh, a home fight on UFC 284. So hopefully if he's not injured, I don't think he is. None of those leg locks or knee bars look like they did anything uh, significant. Uh, so if he's able to go at that time, which is February and next couple of months, I would love to see it for Dan Hooker and just put him up against somebody that, you know, is going to be entertaining because I-, I think the crowd did get a little bit restless there because they just kept seeing uh, the Claudio Puelas do his best Ryan Hall impression. And we all know that somehow, you know, that that's not the most entertaining thing. It's it's terrible when they immediately default to butt scooting. It yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. And, but this wasn't even butt scooting. This was just like he just had one button. This is this is like you know I've always made that joke that when you see a guy at a club and he runs out of dance moves and he starts doing push-ups, you might want to tell him that it's <laughs> he can have a seat. He's earned he's earned a break. He's fine. You don't need to prove or show anything else. And that's kind of what happened here with Claudio. You know he did he did a couple of things and then he decided yeah I think my bag of tricks is uh, empty. Felix the cat borrowed it. I don't know. I, I don't know what we're doing here. And that was the end of it. And that's kind of what we just, uh, you know, Hooker was smart enough to play keep away, demand that the man stand up. I mean, there's no commitment. There's no obligation for him to follow him to the ground. And then the fight went the way it went. I'm just curious to see as to whether or not Claudio got injured at some point, decided that, you know, look, punches aren't going to do it for me. I might as well do this. Right. Get in my guard. Come to Papa. Mm. All right. This next fight. It doesn't have a whole heck of a lot of significance yet, but it certainly put Hanato Moicano on the map for a lot of people that didn't know who he was. Now, Victor, you and I have been on the Moicano train for a long, long time, and we were so thrilled when he actually moved up in weight as opposed to going down in weight like most fighters do. And he's looked phenomenal with the exception of Javier Dos Anjos, who he says... You know, I was eating steaks and drinking beer when they gave me that call four days before the fight. So, you know, I'm going to give him a flyer on that. He looks phenomenal. He beat a good guy when he beat Brad Riddell, but his post-fight speech was the most amazing thing ever. Moicano wants fucking money, and that is how you do a post-fight speech. Kristen, I'm going to turn it over to you. 
Absolutely. I don't think I've laughed that hard during a post-fight interview in a while. I don't know what demon overtook Renato Moicano at that moment, but that guy was like, listen, I've been through a lot in the couple in the couple past months and, and I just got to get this shit out of there. And what, what was great about it was there was so much time left between uh, the start of the pay-per-view and the end of his fight since it, it ended so fast. I think they were just letting him go. Yeah. And I know a lot of the ESPN censors were probably just, they were trying their best. But man, you could tell Joe Rogan was having the time of his life. <laughs> He's just letting this guy riff and riff and riff. And I mean, what not only a statement making performance, but just the little after show after that, like that is one of the most memorable post-fight interviews that we've had in a very long time. And if you don't know about Moicano, I'm pretty sure you do now. The guy always brings it whenever he's in a fight. I, when he took that fight against Rafael Dos Anjos, I was like, this is like climbing an uphill, mm-hmm. you know, it's an uphill battle for this guy. But look at how he started to perform in the fifth round. I thought we were going to have a little bit of some fifth round magic there because he definitely had uh, Dos Anjos hurt in the end there, but it just didn't really pan out for him at that time. But man... If he keeps fighting like that and he gives us these interviews, that is a star. And I, I look forward to seeing him again. And you know what? I think he deserves to be uh, on the Brazil card. So put him on there. You know he's going to deliver. You know he's going to show out. So I love that for Moicano yesterday. And what an excellent way to go into the pay-per-view. Like, I think the entire fight card, I was kind of amped up. But Moicano got me to, like, 100 yeah. after that. Yeah. Now I want to ask you one more question because many of you know I wrote the bonus post for many, many years for Bloody Elbow and I've turned over the mantle to Kristen. Did it piss you off that Hanato Moicano was passed over among others that shouldn't have been passed over for a bonus? Yes, absolutely. Because when you put on a performance like that, like my my immediate reaction is I hope that guy gets 50K mm-hmm. or I hope that woman gets 50k so to see him excluded among other people's i personally would have given um aaron blanchfield a 50k bonus because homegirl is a problem Mm -hmm. like if you don't know about aaron blanchfield i hope you do now because she really did steal the hype behind molly mccann and i absolutely adore the year that she's been having and this is that is one of the prime examples of how to keep your momentum going Mm -hmm. like before molly mccann may not have been well known to a lot of people outside of you know, our realm of MMA, but I mean, it's worth keeping an eye on, of course, but then she just lit both London cards on fire Mm -hmm. with these spinning knockouts and stuff like that. So I knew she was going to be primed for a very big opportunity. But then when I saw her booked against Aaron Blanchfield, Mm -hmm. I was like, not that opportunity because we know Aaron Blanchfield is a problem. And the way that she dealt with Molly McCann, I mean, uh, to me, it was expected, but I it was still jaw-dropping at the relative ease this woman had. I mean, like, if I'm anyone in that in that division, I don't want any of Aaron Blanchard, to be quite honest. I don't want any of that. Like, she's just mean on the ground. And I guess her fight moniker makes a lot of sense. She is definitely cold-blooded. But, yeah, she was on uh, on my list of bonuses. I thought Carlos Olberg should have oh gotten God, a bonus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was too. Yeah, I mean, come on. What a way to start the pay-per-view. He refused to be goaded into that brawl that he knew Nega Muirano would, mm-hmm. would definitely have some shots in there and just freaking ugh, 
And I would have given Mike Frizzano and Song Wu Choi a bonus. I would have had two fight of the nights because that was one of the most spectacular one round fights I've seen. That was the the Diaz daily moment right there. Yeah, Trizano and Song Wu Choi. Yeah, see, the problem is Trizano missed weight, and if he didn't, if he didn't miss weight, I think he would have been eligible for a bonus. But Mm. same, same with Ryan Span too. Like I thought that was a statement making performance as well, and 50k would have definitely been given to him, but he missed weight, you know. So it's unfortunate that a lot of those people should have got bonuses, but they were ineligible. So I'm gonna save the last question for Victor. And the last question on to UFC 281 before we move into our news portion. I told y'all I was saving Frankie Edgar for last, and I'm saving him for Victor because Victor's always been a fan. And Victor didn't even want to pick this fight, but we did anyways because, you know, we picked the whole main card. But that had to hurt you for two reasons, because you didn't want to pick this. And to see Ali back there hugging on him and squeezing on him, getting those last few nickels out of him on his way back to the locker room after after having been slept again. So, Victor, I got to get your thoughts on Frankie Edgar. You know, I, I'm imagining just now, you put this image in my head, I'm imagining Ali hugging him, right? But he's kind of like got his hands low and he's literally rifling through his pockets as he's... Kind of looked as like that. It did. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that being a thing. But no, I, God... It's so irresponsible. Like, this is really as much as you could give the man any sort of tribute you want. This was foul. Mm -hmm. This was a disgusting way to book the fight. Why would you need? There's no need for you to put him in against a rising star. Congratulations. Now Jonathan has a win against a guy who was on a skid and on his way out, but he was a big name. Does this really bolster him? Does this really do anything to benefit him in the sense that now he becomes a divisional threat? No. It doesn't. It beats an over-the-hill guy who's been chinny, who's been rocked and finished, and who's been, unfortunately, not been in a great way in his final fight. And he goes out there, he gets knocked the fuck out in front of his kids. Mm-hmm. You know how, I mean, it just, there's so much of this going on for no reason whatsoever. There's no, you can't sit there and tell me they couldn't give him... I don't know, a featherweight fight against Clay Guida. They, they could have given him a lesser uh, ranked or, you know, a, a lesser known bantamweight that wouldn't have really benefited that much from it. But what does anybody benefit from winning against Frankie? And he wouldn't have benefited anything on the way out either because there's no bonus for him as far as like whether he wins or loses his last fight. I, I just, the, and coming into it, it seemed like a bad idea because of the matchup. And now coming out, it's like, Jesus, then you see the way it plays out and the optics, it feels so much more gross than it usually, than, than what I had expected at first glance. So I just it was just such a bummer, really, like the biggest wet blanket possible for this event to me was that. And I'm glad that the rest of the card was as exciting as it was, as consequential as it was, because that's the only way that I was going to be able to get the bitter taste of that shit out of my mouth. Oh, well, one thing that happened last night, an announcement was made that Alexander Volkanovsky is going to face Islam Makachev and... Victor, you have the first news story, and it is about this a little bit in a circular way. So why don't you get us kicked off? 
Well, yeah, as you mentioned, so yes, Volkanovsky is going to be fighting Islam Makachev. I will continue the running gag and you will not stop me. If Islam wins, Volkanovsky has to convert to Islam. So moving right along, I will measure, I'll get his head measurements for his kufi shortly. Uh, Volkanovsky is not just taking the opportunity to potentially have two belts, but he's also looking to stay as active as possible in both divisions. Tall order, I know. We've heard this before. We've seen this play out and not exactly be the best thing possible in practice, but he thinks he's the one who's going to break that mold. And he was asked during a media day event regarding that whole deal, and he said, there's a few of them that are just right there, eh? I think uh, someone's going to be a bit disappointed. There's definitely a top three, right? Arnold Allen, Yair Rodriguez, and Josh Emmett. Any of those guys that misses out on something that happens there is going to be pretty disappointed. We just got to see what happens. I made it clear that I want to be active and things like that, and people keep questioning, like, ah, can you do two divisions? Well, I know for a fact one division can't keep me busy enough, so why don't we focus on that? Let's be real. I'm willing to do both belts at the same time, and I think I can do it because I want to fight every three months. Easy. That's what I want to do. I don't want to wait for this champ champ. I want to do it now. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm at my peak right now. I want to take advantage of that and fuck some people up, so let's do it. So I'm glad that he mentioned the contenders that were there at featherweight in the top three because, well, yeah, sure, that does leave a bit of a conundrum. But the UFC solved that problem immediately as it was announced that Yair Rodriguez is going to be fighting Josh Emmett. So that just leaves Arnold Allen as the odd man out. And he did just fight fairly recently, so I guess he could probably afford to wait a bit. But then again, he didn't take too much damage, and I'm sure he's hoping that he can get in there as soon as possible. But this might, in fact, give him some time to step back, sharpen his tools, and be even better prepared to take on Volkanovski when the moment arrives. In the meantime, he's going Volkanovski is going to be taking on a new terror, a new a top threat in the champion, another guy that's been really difficult to figure out, especially in the manner in which he's improved. And I mean, I don't know about his chances of winning it, but assuming that Volkanovsky does win, what do we think of his chances of maintaining both belts in both divisions, the whole bouncing back and forth? Is he going to finally be the guy that's able to do it for a certain, well, for longer perhaps than other champ champs in the past have done? Kristen, I'm going to default to you first. You know, if there's somebody that I think could absolutely do it, it's Alexander Volkanovsky. But it, it, as you said before, we've heard this a lot. We've heard people say that I'm going to keep both divisions active. And it just feels like it's like damn near impossible to do that. And then I'm also wondering, because you're volleying between two different weights, I'm wondering, eventually that's going to get tiring. Like to go from 145 to 155, 140, or unless he plans on having a couple of fights here in the year at 155 and then a couple of fights here on 145. I don't know what he's going to do. If he's going to try and do it like the Amanda Nunes route, where she just specifically focused on one specific uh, division weight class. And then she switched over to the other weight class and stuff like that. But I'm not really sure if that's going to be the best thing possible. I think if, if Alexander Volkanovsky uh, does defeat Islam Makachev, I could see him relinquishing the 145 title. Like I think he's done a lot um at that division of course he could always do more and it seems like it's starting to get sorted a little bit in the in the division because he was saying that he needs a clear number one contender and every time we got like a title eliminator it just seemed like the most wackiest shit went on like Yair Rodriguez and the Brian Ortega fight that ended in an injury although some people say you know what that's a legit win for Yair because it's not like he he caused the injury. I think it, it was more so Brian did when he was trying to pull himself out of that submission mm -hmm. attempt that Yair, that Yair had on him. So 
I thought that was a legit win. Some people didn't see it as that. Then we then we get Josh Emmett and Calvin Cater. That turns out to be a controversial split decision. So it's still it's a win, but it's also very like, eh, is it Cater really? won that fight? I'm just gonna put that out there. I see, and you're not the only one that says that. I feel like that's a general consensus that Cater did win that fight. He did. So he did. I think I'm probably gonna rewatch that one just to <laughs> reaffirm if that's really the case. I personally believe that as well, but. Yeah, he definitely won that fight. And then we had Cater and, and Arnold Allen, and he injured himself. Calvin Cater, he injured himself. So it was just like, damn, there's no clear number one contender. And then, of course, when you announce that you're uh, going to go for champ champ status, a lot of people start to get annoyed with that recently. But I think that this is a perfect opportunity for Alex to do that. So I'm fine with that. And I was very uh, surprised, honestly, to see the the interim featherweight championship announced as well last night. It was just like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're figuring that out. Um, and of course, there's do I, would I consider Arnold Allen the odd man out? I uh, probably not. And and I'll just say this: I could see him fight. It's almost like a Bilal Muhammad situation. Like I could see him fight one more time before I'd be clamoring for that championship opportunity. And I feel like that's how I feel with Arnold Allen. Like I could definitely see him fight one more time. He looked freaking phenomenal in the Calvin Cater fight. But would I be opposed to seeing him in there one more, uh, one more time before he gets that championship opportunity? No, not really. Same with someone like a Bilal Muhammad. I'd see them fight one more time. So while him, uh, while Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett kind of figure out who is the next number one and then, and Volt goes up, get Arnold Allen another fight. I don't know against who, maybe Max Holloway. Yes. He did say that he was interested in that. So that'd be really nice. I'd like this little tournament type of thing that we could have at Featherweight now that Volk has decided this is his moment to go up and wait. So I think that if anyone can do it, I agree with Kristen, it, it would be Volkanovsky. He's not one of the guys that's frequently injured. I think the only time I can recall that he ever had to pull out of a fight was when he had COVID. He came back like six months later and put on the performance of a lifetime. I believe him when he says he wants to fight every three months because he's always ready to freaking fight. Do I think he's going to beat Islam Makachev? I don't know about that. I really don't. If anybody could out of the 145ers, it would be him. But I don't know. I just, he's defied all the odds to now. He really has. Yeah. So, so it, yeah. I, I have to, I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I will. When it comes down to making my picks, though, I feel myself leaning to Islam. I do. That's, but that's the thing, right? That's the deal with Alex is that you, you kind of look at everything he's doing, you're like, well, shit, why the hell not? Yeah. <laughs> why not this guy? You look at everything he's done, you go, what's another 10 pounds? You know what I mean? Sure, why not? Let's right. go. Exactly. So we are going to move on, and we've got some news from Francis Ngannou. Big Francie giving us a little update on his contract. Now, he went on an interview with Joe Pompliano, and this is what he said when Joe asked about a possible fight with former champion, uh, former light heavyweight champion, John Jones. And he said that everything was up in the air still. So I'm going to quote from the interview. Maybe John Jones, if we get things sorted out, because this contract situation has not been sorted. And the contract says you have to fight when they tell you you have to fight. But your contract does obligate them to give you a fight. They can sit you down for two years. You can't say anything. So unless they want to make you a fight, 
you won't fight. So that's something that caught my attention. What is this contract good for? How does this contract protect me? On what? Nothing. I have nothing. When you sign that contract, you give your ownership to the UFC, but technically it's not protecting you from nothing, from anything. They can cut you whenever they want. They can give you a fight, yes or no, and they don't have to answer to anybody. They can do whatever they want. So why am I signing a contract? I have no protection in that contract. Unless you can guarantee me something in that contract, there's not a reason to do the contract. Matter of fact, you say I'm an independent contractor. Let me fight. I can fight for you and fight for someone else. Why am I having an exclusive contract with you with no benefit? I'm supposedly an independent contractor. Wow. He said a mouthful. The way that they're treated, they, they are treated as employees, but they are called independent contractors. And boy, when Francis and Ganu's contract issues shake out with the UFC, they should make that a white paper study. Kristen, I'm going to get your take on this first. Yeah, it's very interesting because a couple of months ago, I remember seeing Francis Ngannou saying that him and his management had been speaking. There was an open line of communication with the UFC brass and them. And it seemed like everything was going well. And of course, we know that they want to do the super fight between him and a returning John Jones, who we still, I mean, beyond Dana White saying that we're still aiming for that fight happening in 2023, that just doesn't seem to be a lot of movement in that area. And I know by that time, Francis should be all um, recovered from his surgery after the torn ACL that he suffered before his fight against Cyril Gunn. So I, I don't know what's going on all of a sudden. It just seems like we were going one way and now we're going the right back down the way we started. And it's just we're back at square one. So it's crazy to me that Francis is in that stage of realizing that, you know what, there's so much that I can do. There's so much that I want to do and to be able, and I can't even do that because I'm locked into this contract. And it's very frustrating because I know he's trying to renegotiate everything, but with a little bit of extras here and there, I know he wants to box. I know he wants more money and stuff like that. And he's a UFC champion. He should be able to go out and get those things. But it goes to show you, even though you try your best to kind of negotiate with the, the UFC, it may not always work out in your favor. So I, I'm definitely, I, I don't think that I'm ill-equipped to talk about it, but I think there are better people to kind of talk about the contract situation. So I think I'm going to pass this over to Vic and see what he knows, <laughs> because I, I, I think he can explain it better to me. Well, you know what? I, I'd uh, I, I'd love being the one to disappoint you in this one here because I'm not exactly the best person to to break down the ins and outs of the contractual stuff. But I will say this: No, that's okay. Uh, this will not be the first time I disappoint. Trust me. I, ask Steffi. Uh, so, so what, what I do think about this is that it lays yet again it lays bare the truth that we've been saying for some time that you reach the pinnacle of the sport of MMA and your grand reward is to beg for more money. And this is really the, the greatest and saddest thing. Although what I do have to commend, um, Francis for that we haven't seen probably since the era of Tito Ortiz as a champion who's not only willing to go out there and be so public and vocal about it, but he's also not just asking for money, but for other opportunities as well. He's asking for expansion, the opportunity for cross promotion if need be. I don't think anyone else has really had the 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 sort of, uh, at least in the modern era, the um, 
the fortitude to say that, really, the bravado to go out there and say that, which means that it's a couple of things. Number one, he certainly is much more of his own man than a lot of people uh, you know, would have really thought because a lot of these guys, they, they take the, sh- the hush money and uh, they just keep it moving. Cough, cough, John Jones, cough, cough. Uh, or, you know, we just have situations in which they are cowed or intimidated, but not in this situation, man. He's really putting it out there, and I, I commend him for it. But yet again, I mean, he's he's got the safety of being very well represented, and he has the belt. So he can do that. He can get away with a whole lot. And it's also, for better or for worse, a marquee division, at least on paper, right? Because heavyweight, oh, heavyweight. Now, they, the UFC themselves have sort of built themselves. They painted themselves into a bit of a corner because they've constantly hyped this as, you know, we always call the heavyweight champion the baddest man on the planet, irrespective of whatever else happens in any other division and what levels of competition there may be. Everyone always points and looks to heavyweight as the biggest, the most, you know, because, well, obviously these guys are big, therefore the event is big therefore there's a greater level of legitimacy which we know isn't so but if they created that hype and they live by it well then he's going to grab that hype by the neck and he's going to squeeze every last single drip of any potential leverage he can get and i applaud him for that so i mean i feel bad again that this is another situation where a guy shouldn't have to be in this situation he shouldn't have to be dealing with um all these antics and all this 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 disrespect while he's injured, uh, you know the, the the promo that we saw that time with him, you know, trying to present him as a a, a, a spendy uh, guy who's just more worried about looking good and 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 driving fancy cars than actually fighting. They knew what they were doing with that, and it just never seems to stick with him. So. Uh, He's got that going for him. <laughs> no matter what they throw at him, nothing really seems to hang on to it. And, and that's, I guess, a good thing. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean that any of the wealth is going to be shared. It doesn't mean good things for fighters across the board. But if at least it means something good for him getting a bigger piece of the pie, which he is absolutely more than deserving of, I'm all for it, man. I'm here. Absolutely. Now, one thing we should note here, in case you're wondering about the John Jones angle of this Dana White answered a question last night in the post-fight presser, and it was in regards to uh, rumors swirling around, perpetuated by John Jones himself, be it uh. <laughs> about him fighting Stipe Miocic, possibly on December 10th. He put out a tweet saying, I'm preparing to fight Stipe December 10th in Las Vegas. Not really sure what's going on between Stipe and the UFC, but I'm ready to compete. I'm going to control what I can and stay in shape. Now that was back on October 20th. <laughs> and then last night, you know, you know, actually a week later or a couple of days later, you know, they announced the the main event which has nothing to do with them and the co-main event. So obviously this fight isn't happening. And last night he was grilled basically by some reporter that Ugh. Anyways, we won't talk mm. about that. But the guy grilled him about Stipe Miocic, and Dana said that fight was never in the in the pipeline. So we have that as well to add to this really convoluted story about Francis. But the main thing here is that Francis has basically fought out his contract, and they are trying to renegotiate a new one. Francis wants more. He has. Victor touched on this earlier. He's well-represented. He has immaculate representation because his manager 
used to be a part of the UFC. And one of the brass, the high ups that worked in the offices where Dana works, where our, uh, what's his name? Ari Emanuel works, where the Fertitas worked. He has a good working knowledge of how the contracts work, how everything at the UFC works. So Francis holding out is probably a good thing for everyone, for all the fighters, because when his contract either gets reworked or he takes off for greener pastures, it's going to clear a pathway for others to do the same and hopefully successfully. Those are the same offices that Matt Hughes was working at? Oh, my God. <laughs> did a lot of work. That was a working man, that Matt Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, short of the antitrust suit, maybe Francis Ngannou can show other fighters how it's done. So, Victor, <laughs> you're up. Yeah, so uh, I'd like to take a moment to ask uh, ask the listeners at home or on your treadmill or in your car question. Penis. <laughs> yeah, y'all know about Penis. Yeah, I got penises, right? Some of you do. That's okay. Some are uglier than others. They come in different shapes and sizes. Ah, yes, penis. We're going to talk about that now. And I'm going to make sure that I say that word as often as possible because I need to make sure that by the end of this, Steffi is red in the, pay, in the face of me mentioning penis. You see, folks, we're going to talk about somebody who has often been compared to a penis, Sean O'Malley, and his misadventures uh, recently in Mexico. Good God, what is it with Americans going to Mexico? What is it with these people not... They, are people not house trained? Do people not know that you can't just go and there's 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 laws, there's rules to nature and shit. You can't just go to Mexico and go buck wild like that. But well, he did, and he went to Tijuana, which my God, when you're a crazy white boy from the Northeast, I can imagine that he must have thought that he was on another planet. He ended up going there, and there was a uh, procedure that you might have heard of that he went through, and it has to do, you guessed it, the main dish, penis. Quote: There's one guy there, and he's like, Yeah, I'm getting my dick done. I think he had erectile dysfunction or something, and he and I'm like, well, my wiener works perfectly fine. Is there any cons, or is it just pros? I just want to stop right there for a second. <laughs> when you I'm said pros, my, I, wait, when you said pros, I immediately converted it to prose as in poetry, and I'm th mm -hmm. trying to think of all the dick poetry I can right now. <laughs> An eloquent pe a penis with a quill writing on its own. Yes, indeed. Just <laughs> at the light of a candle, punched over like Shakespeare. I just want to stop here for a second and ask you this. So he hears that this guy says that he's, quote, getting his dick done and says, I think he had erectile dysfunction or something. Is this not a moment where you ask a follow-up question? Hey, man, uh, what do you mean by that? Why are you getting that done? What is the root cause of this? No, he just kept going with it. He said, it could supposedly help with girth, performance, explosive orgasm. So I'm like, well, it ain't the first time I've had a needle in my wiener. Hit me up, doc. Okay, I got to stop there again, buddy. <laughs> you mean as opposed to the first time you had a needle in your penis? How does this work? Who are these people injecting... I, I, do I really want to know? Does he I, I, no, have I'm his, not really... Does he have a Prince Albert? That's basically well, the question I, that popped into I don't mind. think. I don't think that's. I, well, I, I I doubt it. But it, it, he keeps going. It hurts worse than I thought. <laughs> it hurt worse than I thought it was going to because they said, "Oh, it won't hurt that bad." Well, see, that's on him for believing it. Continuing, we had an option to have a guy do it or a girl do it. This is where he gives you the most Sean O'Malley answer possible. I said, I want the hot doctor to do it. She grabbed mine and it started growing wide away. I'm like, God damn it, I'm sorry. A hot doctor grabbed my wiener. It's pretty easy to get a boner. 
then the male doctor came in and was like, want me to hold your hand? And my wiener went down. <laughs> because you had to get the no homo in there, didn't you, Sean? Come on, man. There's no reason for that. This You're probably wondering what the outcome was or how things are going for him, considering that this was fairly recent. Not good. Continuing with this quote here. Mine is still bruised. I'm about four inches bigger. <laughs> We're going back in January. I might get another poke. That's the last thing I need. Get more fucking cock power. Buddy, number one, I hope he was joking about the four inches. There's no way that's real because even if it were, that means that there's something probably wrong with it and he might need to go see a doctor. And besides, who grows four inches and then says, yeah, let me get four more. What are you training for, like the penis Olympics? Are you trying to like lift weights with it? What are you trying to accomplish here? What is the point and purpose of all of it? None of this makes any damn sense to me. But we do have somebody to thank. Jesse Holland from MMA Mania went ahead and looked through with this. According to Elite Aesthetics, penis enlargement stem cells, also known as P-shot or priapus shot, so P is not for penis, which I mentioned yet again. I got a quota to fill. Can increase sex drive, improve erectile dysfunction, and offer increased girth through extended length from the – though extended length from the injection is considered rare. The procedure takes less than an hour and lasts up to 12 months. It's just a penis. How long do you need to take to inject it? Of course it takes less than an hour. Who's writing these disclaimers? I hate this story. I hate the fact that this is something we even need to discuss, but I'm glad that if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be me so I can complete my quota, which I think ends now with this penis. <laughs> Ladies, thoughts? <laughs> Kristen, you can go I, first. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, can I tell you something that you're probably going to hate even worse? Oh, Sure. He's probably not lying about the four inches thing. And it's funny that I know about this because when I'm not watching people bludgeon each other in the face, I'm watching stupid reality television. That is one of my favorite guilty pleasures. And I'm not ashamed to admit it, actually. I'm not going to say guilty this is why This is why we get along so well. Keep going. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a guilty pleasure. I, you know what? I'm going to say it. I like reality TV. So on one of the shows that I watch called Married to Medicine, they were actually talking about the pee shot. And they pretty much described what Sean O'Malley had done. And it sounds like it really does. It, it extends length. It gives you girth and stuff like that. And it does last a long time. And by the way, for any uh, of our women listeners, that would be me and you, Steffi. There's also something called the O-Shot. And, and I think you can kind of gather what that that is about. <laughs> so basically, when they brought out Cialis and Viagra, and then they brought out for the women Niagara, I'm assuming it's the Niagara for this? Yes, and it lasts, a, I think, 12 to 16 months based off of what I heard. So. Oh, there's going to be some gushing, all right. Well, wait, <laughs> so we're talking the other way. We're talking, we're, close it down. We're talking the other way. and, yeah. and that Oh, you oh. know, and that gives you more of a, well, it's, an, it's called the old shot for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. And when you see the price of it, you'll probably be saying, oh. Oh, my. Yeah. So yeah, I guess. Hang on. I couldn't to, really to... hear that last part over the sound of me clicking my keyboard. What, the prices to Tijuana are actually not quite unreasonable right now. So, <laughs> so we're, we're looking at the uh, rejuvenated cherry shot. There you go. Okay. That's exactly what gotcha. it is. All right. All right. Woo. My goodness. Um. Wow. I got to hear more from you, Kristen, on this. I mean, listen, I'm not a doctor. I just know what I'm going based off of reality television. And, and that is what the conversation was. We got the discussion on the O and the P. And it sounds like they are very uh, similar in, in benefits. So if anybody is looking for a little bit of a change in, in that department of their life, 
maybe invest because from what I hear, <laughs> the Oshot costs about twenty five hundred dollars. So, yeah, but that's yeah, a lot. That's very a lot cheaper than that vaginal bad. reconstructive surgery, though, because that's much more costly. Yeah, I expected it to be much more. I'm just a little mad now. Like I was in Tijuana a couple of years ago, nobody told me. <laughs> well, you didn't sit next to somebody that was doing the procedure. This is also <laughs> true. I, I, this is why I got to leave fake friends behind in 2023. This right here cannot stand. I hate there you this. Go. <laughs> Victor, to your point about it taking an hour and how long does it take to give a shot with stem cells? They typically do it in multiple shots in different areas. Mm-hmm. So, but uh. here's the thing that sticks out to me the most about this story. Every 12 months. Are you freaking kidding me? You got to get a shot in your dick every 12 months? No, thanks. Get yourself some pills. If it's just for performance, the way Sean O'Malley says, you don't need your dick huge all the time. You just need it at that particular moment. What's wrong with taking a pill? Dodgy dick pills. Didn't John Jones go down to dodgy dick pills? No, yeah, it worked out great for him. Anderson Silva, dodgy dick pills. Everybody with the dodgy dick pills. So... Anyways, we are going to talk about some other notable moments from combat sports. If you're just tuning in, this is our shortest segment. We're basically, I just grabbed some knockouts or some fun shit that happened around the interwebs and we talk about it very briefly. So first one, Jose Delgado's head kick KO of Jorge Juarez. Outstanding knockout. Kristen, I got to get your take on it. Yeah, I think my immediate thought when I saw that knockout, I was like, I want to see what that guy's nose looks like. Because from the sound of it, it looks like it was shattered with that leg kick. Like, that was freaking disgusting. That had to be a nose-breaking KO. And I mean, wow. What what a head kick for Jose Delgado. Indeed. We're talking smash effect nose. No cartilage at all. Michael Chandler times Rich Franklin times Andre Arlovsky. Yes. Times Mike Perry. I had to add that in there. Yes, Mike Perry had a bust. I forgot about that one. Victor, your thoughts? Yeah, um, that was scary. That was an absolutely uh, terrible way to go out because dude was kind of ducking into it and the guy capitalized on it. So frightening stuff, man. That was that was pretty crazy there. And um, it's, a, it's a shame. These guys aren't really going to get much shine really outside of social media because it's on Freedom Fight Night. And mm-hmm. I don't really... I don't think I want to get too deep into what that whole organization is doing and why they're doing it, but um, it would be nice to see some of these guys, some of these fighters, get a little bit more exposure with something a little better. Yeah. Now, the next thing is the funniest thing on the list, and that is that the Drake curse is alive and well, because if you haven't heard, Drake put $2 million Canadian dollars on oh. Israel Adesanya to win. Now, if we go back in our memory palaces... When Israel was facing Jan Blakovich, he also placed a bet on him then, too. So, Kristen, what you think of Drake? I can't stand Aubrey. What do you think of him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that guy doesn't really, like, do anything for me, to be honest. I, I, I don't listen to too much radio, so I'm not really inundated with anything that Drake drops recently. But I do know about him in the sports world, and I know how much of a curse he carries. And I always get so nervous when I see these celebrities drop these big amounts of money. A, because I want that. And B, because you just it's just so, it seems careless that you're dropping this kind of money on, on one person, bearing they end up doing what you want them to do. And it doesn't always pan out that way. And now you've lost 
two million Canadian dollars. I don't know how much that shakes out to be. Like, is there that's, like, that's like thirty-eight dollars U.S. It's not real money. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then you know what, Drake, do what you want with your money. <laughs> I think but it yeah, comes I, out. I guess it is. Is the Drake curse is still alive? I think it comes out to a little over a million. That's a lot of money to drop, though. That's Definitely. still. I just, you know, the, I saw someone say, and I don't know how accurate it is. I don't know how true it is. Someone said that that Dave Portnoy put 10k on Molly McCann, and while I feel terrible for Molly losing, it's like, well, you know, I don't feel too much. It takes a bit of the sting out of it. Like, well, you know what? At least this guy also gets to look like an asshole too, because those 10k really, you could have lit it on fire instead. These people, they jump into this thing. They think that you know, they 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 don't know anything about anything when it comes to the combat sport world and they start throwing crazy money around based on who's popular who's got the most hype like they are rife for being played for suckers and drake is just he's continuing i just i don't really like he's done the most amazing thing for me which is someone who doesn't believe in the supernatural i don't believe in hexes curses jinxes spells none of that but when it comes to drake and his bets goddamn, that's like the closest i really come to going like oh shit he's doing it isn't he oh no he bet against the guy that i picked god you know like i i just don't want him anywhere near the people that i like even though even though i'm someone who's not supposed to be believing any other shit yet yet still that is the power that aubrey has all right, so the next story, my personal favorite because I'm a big boxing head. And if you got to see Emiliano Vargas's KO of Julio Marquez, it was truly special, but for a few different reasons. First of all, he's just 18. That was his second pro fight. And the other thing is who his very famous father is, uh, Ferocious Fernando Vargas. And he's clearly got another star in the making here with his own son, and holy crap, what a fucking knockout that was. Julio Marta- Martinez is just sitting there trying to spit out his mouthpiece. He can't even get his fucking mouthpiece out. It was amazing. Kristen, you're up. I'm sorry, did you say he's 18? 18. 18, 18. doing that kind of stuff. 18. Like, that was a video game type of knockout. Yep. Like, you just saw the lights go out. Mm on julio martinez and it was borderline scary like i was worried for him i know he was trying to spit out his mouthpiece and then i thought i saw him trying to be like well what happened and i'm like dude you got slept that's what happened you know, thank god for the ropes did he i don't i don't think i could see it from the angle that i saw the fight but did he get saved at least by bouncing off the ropes or did he actually hit the canvas he hit like his the head canvas. oh yeah yeah that, the that's canvas. tough yeah that is really tough, but that was a spectacular knockout. And for somebody, listen, that is way to keep the legacy alive, mm-hmm. like the familial legacy alive. That is great. And what a great way to kind of, and that's a second pro fight you said? Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm. This guy's going to be a problem too. So, wow. Yep. Good, good on Vargas. So when you send me the link for this and I see the name Emiliano Vargas, I'm like, that is the most Mexican-ass name I've seen all week outside of the guy from Black Panther. And wow, yeah, he did some – had some very strong Mexican boxing the man put in there. Textbook, just just, just the way he positioned himself, the way he just delivered all that power, that was brutal, man. That was a rough one. And in a week in which we've seen a ton of crazy knockouts, mm-hmm. uh, to see that stand out, holy whew, that was that was something else. Again, good for him, man. I, if he's only 18, he's only got good things ahead of him as long as he's keep, keeping his head on straight. Indeed. My favorite feel-good moment that we're going to talk about is Glover's reaction, Glover Teixeira's reaction to seeing Alex Pereira win. Okay. Look, 
anything Glover automatically pulls on my heartstrings. But when I see him just beaming with pride, beaming with pride, man, the 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 waterworks start. Somebody's cutting onions, it gets real dusty. Man, I love watching Glover whenever he's watching someone else and when he's uh, excited about his teammates. Because remember, Victor, just a couple weeks ago, we were laughing, pointing and laughing at the people that actually thought that him and Alex, uh, their sparring session was so gruesome. They were just having a sparring session and that was it. They didn't have to be physically separated or anything like that. But this just, you know, bolsters that feeling that we had back then. So, Victor, this time I'm going to start with you because of that little moment. You know, what I loved most about it was seeing Glover celebrate. Not even like it's one of those things where you see somebody celebrating the triumph for their own kids. You know, it seemed he felt almost as happy as when he went when he got the belt. You know, he saw that 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 moment of him knowing his fighter was down and being able to come back in such a dramatic fashion, really pulling out from under in that last moment and and just grabbing that opportunity and not letting it go. And that really was something very special. I don't really I'm not big when they do those uh, you know, the thrill and agony pieces, because usually I don't I don't like the way they treat the loser. I really wish they'd only focus on what happens here with the winners and everything like that. And it was nice to see that in, in, in that we didn't have to wait to see that reaction that we're seeing and hearing the audio and seeing the, the fighters and, you know, his, his teammates and, and everything else, uh, how they react and how they handle that. And that was that also, again, I was a little sad that that Israel lost. But um, to see that camaraderie, to see all that hard work get put in and come together, that that does make things very nice. And those are some of the. I guess, uh, ancillary moments, right? Like the supporting muscles of, of why I feel so drawn and attached to this sport, because you see that thing happen. You see that bond that you just can't break. You can't bottle it and sell it. You can't do anything, but just really earn it and, 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 and experience it and see that happen for someone else. And to see good things happen for other people, that's genuinely amazing. And I'm glad that we got to see that. Kristen, what'd you think? I absolutely loved it. And I think Glover, when he actually walked over to the booth right at the end of the pay-per-view and he's like, I think I'm more happy for him than I was when I won the title. Like he was genuinely (laughs) more happy for Alex. So it was just great to see that kind of moment. And I loved, you could see the realization too, when, when Alex hurt Izzy, you could see that gear kind of change and they knew that they had him at that moment. And, And for that to come full circle, it was just such an amazing moment. And, and I think it really is going to give, uh, Glover, that kind of motivation that he needs when he when he heads into that rematch with Jiri uh, at the final pay per view uh, of the year. So it was so nice to see. And what was funny to me also is like this is probably the most emotion that we're gonna ever see out of someone in Alex Pereira's camp, just because, you know, he's not going to give it. Like, that dude is stoic as hell. He just beat one of the greatest fighters in the UFC right now, and he's just like, yeah another day of work you know he didn't really crack a smile he doesn't really like to do all that kind of stuff so at least his team was able to be so enthusiastic about his win so i absolutely loved that little corner moment see i'm tired of being right about only bad things so i'm glad that i was right about glover's joy and (laughs) where that came from that's excellent yeah that was awesome now our final moment 
is also hilarious. And I got it wrong because when I sent out our outline, I thought that Diaz had slapped the dog shit out of Dylan Dennis, but it was just somebody that was running around with Dylan Dennis. And so uh, my, my moment of elation has plummeted down into a valley. Kristen, are you as depressed as I am that it wasn't actually Dylan Dennis that got the smack? I'm definitely surprised because he seems to find himself in the worst type of positions whenever he's just out in public. (laughs) Like there is just something about Dylan Dennis that everyone around the world just seems to dislike. And I'll let you guys figure that out for whatever reason (laughs) it is. But man, it was the least surprising thing to see that kind of uh, pop up on the timeline last night before we all went to bed that Nate Diaz had slapped somebody. It didn't have to be Dylan Dennis, but you know, if Nate Diaz is around, he's probably going to slap and throw some water at somebody. It's almost like, I don't know if you guys watched too much South Park, but there was a bit that they used to do and it was about Russell Crowe just going around the world beating people up. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) It's very much like that with Nate Diaz. Like, you just know if Nate Diaz is around, just expect some water to be thrown, a little slap here and there because this guy is just... You know, just Nate Diazing it. I, I think I just made up a word there, but yeah. Have you seen? Well, if it's meme? if it's not a word, it should be. Have you At guys seen that meme? It's it's actually from a little video clip, and I don't know what show it's from, but it's this guy. He's wearing a blue Oxford shirt. I don't even know why I remember his freaking shirt, but he goes around and he's at this backyard barbecue and he's slapping the shit out of everybody. The kids, the wife. <laughs> it's obviously a bit, but it's hilarious. And when mm-hmm. I every time. I mean, and Nate is slapping some motherfuckers up a lot lately. <laughs> so every time I see Nate's name in the in the headlines, before I even finish the headline, I'm automatically in my brain putting Nate's face on that dude in the blue Oxford that's slapping the fuck out of everybody at the barbecue. And if somebody hasn't already memed that, like superimpose Nate Diaz's face on that guy's body, like, what are we doing? What is social media for? Like, take the last dying days of Twitter and do something good. <laughs> It reminds me of the sketch from the Chris Rock show where they had the guy smacking people upside the head and they had the local news coverage. And it it was Chris Rock walking around with those giant hands smacking people. That's kind of what Nate is going to have to start doing at this point, because you know what, man? I mean, if this was a situation where somebody keeps picking fights and it's like, okay, the common denominator is him. But there is something different with Nate. People keep kind of fucking him. You know, people keep poking at him and messing with him and talking shit. It's like, you know, you can ignore him, right? You know, you can leave him alone. You don't have to do this. And Dylan Dennis, for the love of God, I I continue to be correct in this. Not once does this guy decide that he's going to call out a single person in Bellator or start shit with anybody in his weight class. No. He decides he's going to do it. He's just pick anybody in the world that he has no chance of potentially fighting and rankle their feathers. And he didn't get smacked this time, but he probably will next time. And this should probably be a sign that maybe Dylan – Maybe hanging around Madison Square Garden isn't good for your health. That's two times now you've been involved in a situation where you've looked pretty damn bad. (laughs) This time you didn't even get hit. How terrible is that? How bad does it have to be for you to look like a loser? And you weren't even the guy who got slapped. And Audi Guitar doing his best in his fancy suit, looking like a character from DuckTales, trying to prevent the violence. And he tried. God bless him. He tried. He really, really did the most that he could. But what are you going to do? Who was that other guy mouthing off who looked like the, the bagel guy, the, the, the bagel boss guy? They did, no, come on, man. What are you mouthing off to this dude for? Leave it, leave it be. Everybody could have walked away and left that shit alone. But no, somebody had to get smacked. Oh, well, you know who's doing the smack. 
I think it's really funny at this point because nobody ever sues him. Nobody ever does anything. <laughs> exactly. I think everybody just expects to get the shit slapped out of them when they see Nate Diaz now. And uh, you know what? Maybe that's how it should be. I don't know. But that I would just... be funny. It would be funny if he got sued and then like you walk into the courtroom and the judge is Cat Williams and he says the iconic line, you shouldn't be talking shit. <laughs> or he walks in and slaps the shit out of the person suing him. Who yeah. knows? But I just think it's really funny that nothing ever shakes down out of it. And Nate is physically accosting people. <laughs> oh, God. In this in this instance, I'm standing with Nate. You, you know, know what? what? They, they, they had it coming. I don't I'm, care. I was just really, really disappointed that it wasn't actually Dylan. Because that would have just been the cherry on top of the card. Because that I, card, once again, I gotta, I gotta reinforce the fact that I personally feel that card was card of the year. Um, let, let, let me, let me ask you both this: Do you not think that it's inevitable that at some point Nate is going to have to smack Dylan in the mouth? Oh God, I hope so. I, really <laughs> do. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if I read that headline. I know it's, it's going out there a lot now, but it, it was the wrong person. It wasn't Dylan Dennis. But yeah. in the next couple of months, if they are in the same vicinity, it's well. Happened. Yeah, it's happening. that's where that's where Kristen logs on and says, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. That's there you right. go. I'm just going to drop the gif. There, there will be fingerprints of one Nathan Diaz left upon the cheek of one Dylan Dennis. And I will be the first one there with the, some, the, some soap and water to scrub it off so they can never get them for that. Maybe the oil residue will keep those fingerprints there. I don't know. But I will make sure that Nate doesn't go down for this because he will be doing everyone a service now on that note we are going to wrap up the show we know we gave you a long one but we had a special guest host and she did a marvelous job i hope she comes back and sits in with us again very very soon because we love her here Kristen. i'm going to start with you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what yet what stories you might have coming up on bloody elbow or whatever yeah so you guys can find me on twitter uh, my at is Kristen King MMA, you know, the most generic at ever. Um, I'm relatively quiet on there. I don't really pop in too much unless I'm talking about a horror movie or a horror scene in a cage. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Hopefully. I mean, well, not hopefully. I don't want to say that. But if someone breaks a limb, if someone breaks a nose, if someone gets cut open beyond belief, you you better believe i'm writing about it so <laughs> keep, keep your eyes locked on bloody elbow and uh yeah thank you guys so much for having me i appreciate it we're definitely gonna have to do this again sometime soon for sure All right. victor y'all already yeah. know the routine follow his ass on twitter vic m rodriguez he's funny and he's also got a soul so you're not going to get some crap over there on his timeline. You're going to get some good stuff you can sink your teeth into. And Twitter won't last long anyway, so you might as well get in and out. Exactly. Exactly. If you go over to Instagram, he's also got a phenomenal Instagram account. That's Victor Sinister Rodriguez. Now I want you to follow Mookie. He is over at SB Nation's Field Goals website. He's the managing editor there. So if you are a Seattle Seahawks fan and you want to commiserate, that is the place to go. You can follow the show at Level Change Pod, and we're also available on Facebook. That's Level Change Podcast, uh, facebook.com slash Level Change Podcast. And we're all working for Bloody Elbow, so you can find all of our work there. 
And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you can find out where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow Presents podcasts. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play by Play for every UFC pay per view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com